0: So, the uh, first reading is from Genesis 4, which is on page 6 in the Red Bibles. And it's Genesis 4, verses 1 to 8. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Now it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the second reading is from 1 John chapter 3, which is on page 1227. So it's 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us.
1: Good morning. Thank you very much, Peter. Um, I hope you used... Your phone, text to encourage one another. Uh, this was the message I woke up to on Monday morning this week. Um, I'd been preaching two weeks ago and I wrote, woke up to a message. I listened to your talk. Encouraging, really encouraged. Two minutes later, another uh, text. A uh, friend belongs to another church. We are working our way through Zechariah. John gave an excellent talk this evening... He is very, very good at unpicking Bible verses, no matter how difficult, and makes it sound easy. And my first response was, brilliant. Thank you, God, for John, that he's got this gift. Then I put the two texts together. I thought, oh, So we need God's help, don't we? To take difficult truths and make them simple. So let's ask for his help now. Father God, you are kind, and you do give to those that ask. Uh, Thank you that you've given us your words, and please would you help me now, uh, by your Spirit, uh, to make these truths simple, to bring them alive. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Great to have the Bible open. We're on page 1227, um, and there are headings on the back of the uh, service sheet. Okay, Brexit. Uh, can we have levers on that side and remainers on that side? That would be fun, wouldn't it? Not. Uh, we live in a divided world. We can all see things very differently. Extinction Rebellion. I made the mistake of getting into a conversation with a colleague this week about the disruption that's been going on in our city. Uh, we were poles apart. Uh, A middle-aged man, 20-something millennial, no prizes for guessing how that played out. We live in a divided world. We can all see things very differently, even when it comes to the football team we support. I wonder if you've seen this lovely story on the BBC website this week about uh, the 10-year-old Manchester United fan, Dara Curley, he wrote to the Liverpool manager asking Jurgen Klopp, asking if he could get his team to start losing a few more games. <laughs> well, blow me down, Klopp wrote back. It was a lovely letter, and the family were clearly moved. Dara's dad, who's also a Man U fan, said, This letter confirms that Klopp is a decent, decent guy. But I love the way the article finished. We won't be switching allegiances, Dad continued. Reinforcement techniques are ongoing to ensure there's no swaying from the Man United mandate. Well, I understand young Dara has been invited to Liverpool, so uh, I think Dad could be onto a bit of a loser there. Brexit, Extinction Rebellion, football, nearly everything. We can see things very differently. We make choices. We live in a divided world. So as we come to the first verse of the passage that Peter read for us, uh, verse 11, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Hooray! Great! No division. We can all agree on that. We're to love one another. But it continues, doesn't it? Do not be like Cain. He belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. What? love and murder side by side. What is? What the heck is going on here? Well, to understand, we need to step back and remind ourselves of the context. 1 John is the first of three letters that the Apostle John wrote to the early church, the local church or group of churches, at a specific time, addressing specific issues, although wonderfully... This letter is timeless and relevant, even for us this morning. So for our visual learners, I've got some slides. They're not going to win any awards for graphic design. So firstly, here is the church. Remember, church uh, is people first before building. Here is the church. And churches don't exist in a vacuum, but they're in the world like everything else. But we need to understand that in this letter, the word world uh, has a specific meaning, and it's negative. It's the world we know, but where the God of the Bible, Jesus, doesn't get a look in. He's overlooked. He's ignored. Now, sadly, in this church, there's been a falling out, and the church has divided, split. Yes, even in the church, there's division, Some have left to form a new church. So we've got leavers and remainers. Not very helpful. So let's call them uh, goners and stayers. And this new goners church has relaxed. They've severed their ties with orthodox biblical truth. And they've become worldly in their thinking and morality. They declare themselves to be more spiritual than the stayers, saying things like, Christians, you can have it all. Life is there to be lived. If it feels right, do it. But you stayers are always banging on about sin. You're so negative. And you know what? As the stayers struggle with their selfishness and greed their jealousy and lust, because let's face it, the Christian life is struggle. If you are struggling with those things, if you feel you're in a battle, then be encouraged, because that's exactly how the Christian life should be. If you don't feel aware of that battle, then that's of greater concern. And these stairs are tempted to join them, So in John's words, it's about being led astray. And so he writes to the stayers to reassure. Don't join them. You've got it right. You're on the right path. And reassurance means making clear where the goners are in error. So can you see the context, the battleground The issue here is one of love, the dividing issue, who do you love? And that's the question for us this morning, who do you love? Will you love the world, living for the here and now and all it has to offer? Yeah, maybe with a Christian wrapper, but take the wrapper off, where is your heart? Or will you live for Jesus? The stakes are high. You could say this is the real extinction rebellion because what you choose will determine where you spend eternity. We are all immortal beings. We will all live forever. The question is where? So to our first point, stayers. Be warned by the dividing love that takes. Verse 11 again. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. As Steve was saying in Luke's Thanksgiving, church isn't just people, it goes further, it's family. So as John writes into this mess, it's perhaps no surprise that he uses the example of the first divided family, Adam and Eve's children, Canaan's uh, sons, Cain and Abel. Had he listened to God, learned from his parents, we're not told, but Abel understood the way to approach God was by sacrifice. Uh, Offering one of his flock a blood sacrifice to atone for his sins. Cain, on the other hand, again we're not told. Did he decide for himself how he was going to do business with God? His own, seemingly worthy, sweat and toil in the fields when he brought his offering to God. Either way, one was acceptable, the other not. And it set in motion jealousy, which led to hatred, which tragically ended in death. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. So we need to be clear here that there's, there was nothing wrong with Abel. Uh, He may have been delightful in character. He may have been an irritating upstart. It doesn't matter. Cain's argument wasn't so much with him, but with his God. The one Abel was in right relationship with, but Cain wasn't. So John continues, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you may seem a bit odd, uh, but I find this really encouraging and liberating. Uh, Because when I'm talking to my friends and family about Jesus, how brilliant he is, how much we need him, uh, if they don't like it, uh, not if they don't like me, hopefully I'm being sweetness and light, as is my want, but if they don't like my I talking about Jesus? I need to remember their argument isn't with me, but it's with him. If the world hates you, Jesus told his friends, remember it hated me first. Well, I wonder if you've ever seen yourself as a murderer. Because we are. Deep within... Uh, Maybe not so deep within. There looks that Cain-like murderous attitude to our maker. I'm better off without him. Step aside. Like those choices we had. Right, wrong. Following Jesus will never win us a popularity contest, and that's fine. I need to hang loose to what people think about me and be far more concerned about what people think about him, my Lord. So back to our divided church. Uh, John is saying, verse 13, don't be surprised if the world hates you. That's strong language, isn't it? And the reason it's so hurtful is because it's coming from those who they used to sit next to in church, those who were once good friends. Falling out with friends, family is the most painful of all. But we know in our own hearts that this, this dislike, this hate doesn't just work uh, from the goners to the stayers. We're capable of it in ourselves. Uh, we need as a church to be uh, very wary of that attitude to others which has no place for them. We need to work hard at that. So can you see how this love for the world that has taken the goners out of the church is actually a Cain-type self-serving love? Doing business with God how I decide rather than how God has told us. The goners may still believe in Jesus, say they believe in him, but they don't listen to Jesus. And of course, belief is only ever authenticated by action, how can I see what you're really like, what your heart is really like? Well, I see what it looks like as it's played out. And see how this love has split the church. It's a dividing love. And if they're playing down the seriousness of sin, look, stayers, sin isn't such a big deal. See where it leads, where it ends. Sin, unforgiven sin always ends in death. So can you see there's a way of doing church with a love that looks attractive, that is inclusive, that which we want, that seemingly having it all by picking and choosing from God's word, but it's disastrous. Wonderfully, there is another type of love that unites rather than divides, that gives rather than takes. So to our second point... Uh, be moved towards the uniting love that gives. Remember, John is writing to the stayers, those holding firm to biblical truth, because remember, following Jesus' struggle, I hope you know the struggle, and he's writing to reassure them and us he needs to expose the folly and lies that have caused the goners to go. And this assurance is a wonderful gift. It's not arrogance, but an unwavering confidence that in Jesus I have all I need. I've been a Christian for 30 odd years. I reckon the first 20 years I was a, a wobbly, nervous Christian. Am I Christian? Am I not? I had that sort of stayers sort of worry. And yet, wonderfully, the more we give ourselves to Him, so this wonderful gift of assurance, you got Jesus, you got all you need. Give yourself to Him. So he writes, beautiful verses, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. You want to know what love is? You want to break into song at that point, don't you? Do you want to know what love looks like? Well, look to Jesus. And what John is doing here is he's contrasting Cain's love with Christ's because they're both sacrificial. The original language in the Cain and Abel story is one of sacrifice. Cain sacrifices Abel. As he's drawing the knife across his brother's throat, you can almost hear the words coming out. You want blood, God? You want blood? I'll give you blood. Cain's love is a love for self. It's ugly, it's evil. It's a taking love, taking the life of another. Jesus didn't need to leave the glory of heaven. Um, the, that love that he knew from his father from all time But he chose freely, willingly, humbly to enter into his creation. He was born on that first Christmas to die. To sacrifice himself at the hands of others. Shedding his blood on a wooden cross. And he didn't do that for decent people. uh, Those who had got their lives together. No, he did that for you and me. Sure, we get a lot of things right. But I get a lot of things wrong, too. And Jesus did that because he knew someone had to die to make forgiveness possible if we're to know and enjoy what he'd always known and enjoyed, the beauty and brilliance, the holiness of his Father's love and his Father's kingdom for all eternity. I've got a wife and three children who I love very much. But my dad could never understand when I said I loved Jesus more than I loved them. It used to really bother him. What I'd love to say to him now, because as you go on you can explain, explain things a bit easier, and as is always the way, you never have the chance. But I'd love to say, Dad, the very best way to love my family is by putting Jesus first, because he teaches me what true love looks like sacrificial love, of course I'd lay down my life for my children. You want a kidney? Here, you can have two. Of course I'd do that. But it's not just that kind of heroic love that I'm talking about, but in the nitty-gritty, the everyday caring for my family, putting their needs before my own, that's where I need to love Jesus first, to help me with it. I'm not saying I'm good at it. I struggle. But I need to look to Jesus first for the help that I need to love well. And this kind of love isn't just to stay within the home. But as John is teaching us here, it's to be lived out in the church, in church family. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for Our brothers and sisters. The brothers and sisters here means we're first to look out and care for each other's needs within the church family. Charity begins at home. But of course, that's not to say it ends there. Church is not some horrible holy huddle. No, this is a classroom this morning. And as we learn to love this way, so it will become second nature and spill out to caring for those outside of church, in the wider world. I've had a bit of an epiphany in the last couple of years. Um, I no longer go to church. Let me say that again. Um, I no longer go to church, because I belong to church. Where I used to ask, what church do you go to? I now ask, what church do you belong to? And if, if I'm asked what church I go to, I say, I don't go to church. And they say, oh, what do you mean? I thought you do. And say, so, so no, no, you don't go to church. You go to McDonald's, you go to Asda, but you belong to church. I belong to Christ Church." I have those conversations mainly because I'm difficult and irritating. But there is a positive side because every conversation is a teaching opportunity. We're learning all the time. And let me encourage you to start using that language because as we use the language, as we get our our theology of church right, it will help us to go that step further because if I belong to Paul, if I belong to Gideon, then I've got responsibility when, when I see need in their lives to step forward, to move towards them, to use the gifts that God has given me to love. Uh, I'm sure that Steph and Colleen, when they first had Luke, they would have had, um, been on the receiving end of meals coming around in those early days of being parents. That's one, that's the tip of the iceberg of how we are called to love each other within the church. We're not very good at being touchy-feely at Christchurch, are we? But why don't we just have a moment to look around this building, to see each other, and say, Lord, how might I be able to move towards that person to love them this coming week, this month. You see, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Will we love our possessions, or will we love with our possessions? William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army, Uh, And in those days, um, sending messages was not straightforward. It used to be by telegram. And in a telegram, every letter, not every word, every letter cost. One Christmas, when he wanted to get his message out to his officers around the world, he sent a telegram. And it was just one word. It said, others, others. That is what Jesus, that is what John would have us hear this morning. Our life is not our own. It is about others and how we are to love. Of course, I expect and I hope that there will be some here this morning for whom the language of going to church is appropriate because you're still working out what you make of this Jesus, his church. But I trust there will come a day when you can say that because I now belong to Jesus, well, I belong to His church. I no longer go to Christ's church, I belong to Christ's church. Stephen Colleen, um, I did marriage prep with Stephen, Joy and I did marriage prep with Stephen Colleen, so it's a joy for, to be speaking this morning. Um, I'm delighted that you have invited friends to Luke's Thanksgiving. But. I would love you to go one step further and say, hey, don't just come on the special Sundays. Come next week. Come to church. Because this is a brilliant place to learn how to love, how God calls us to love. So I hope it's becoming clear how Jesus' sacrificial life is in contrast to Cain's. It's not about self, it's about others. It doesn't take life, but gives life. And in this world of division... It is the greatest uniting force known to man as we come together at the foot of the cross and begin to discover that life is not about fighting uh, to get my way, but laying it down, putting the needs of others before my own. So as the heading encourages us, we're to be moved, moved towards Jesus, yes, but in the same motion, moved towards each other others was the cry so finally be confident stayers christchurch be confident trusting the all sufficient love you've received this is how we know what we this is how we know verse 19 this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You see, my heart does condemn me because I'm not always good at loving others, church, family, in the way that we're being encouraged to here. I'm very good at loving myself. I don't need to try to be lazy or greedy. It comes naturally But you think God doesn't know that? If our hearts condemn us, we know God is greater than our hearts. God's God's love is greater than our lukewarm hearts, our lukewarm love. And he knows everything. Of course he does. That's his job. Rather than hide from God, pretend he can't see, we hold our hands up time and time again. I'm sorry, I've messed up again. Thank you for sending Jesus to clear up my mess. What's our memory verse for this month? We said it at the beginning of the service, didn't we? Romans 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 24, The one who keeps God's commands lives in them, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. One of the Holy Spirit's job is to condemn us, to make us aware of our guilt before others, before God. Not that God wants us to go around feeling guilty. That's awful. Right waste of time. But unless we understand the bad news, uh, then we'll never get the good news. And another of the Holy Spirit's jobs. Um, The most important, he's a busy man, is to make Jesus known to us personally so we can begin to enjoy and delight in the freedom of relationship with him. We are guilty men and women this morning, yet wonderfully declared innocent in Christ. And what this freedom gives us is confidence to approach God in prayer. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, remember, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. So what this freedom does is it gives us confidence to approach God in prayer Does uh, this verse mean that we can ask God for a Porsche and expect to get it? Because that's what it looks like, doesn't it? No, as we go on, as we read the Bible, prayer isn't about asking God to align his will with mine, what I think I want and need. Prayer is about uh, God bending our wills, aligning them to his. And as this is in the context of uh, loving others, uh, what does that mean for my prayer life? If I stop and think about my, my prayer life, it is so selfish. I can, I can hardly sort of, uh, I'm, I'm great at praying for um, the little bubble of the world in which I exist. But I'm sure that John would have us um, look beyond that bubble. To be crying out to him for one another the great needs, the great burdens that so many of us carry. Well, as we end, let me do just that uh, as we pray. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Father we're not great at this, Um, our hearts do condemn but thank you that you are greater than our hearts, thank you that Jesus has died and we can have the assurance, the joy of knowing that we are accepted uh, despite our many failings. And so for this coming week, even for this afternoon, please would you make us men and women uh, who look out for each other, who stop to think. Would you shape our prayer lives to make them more other person-centred rather than self-centred? You are so brilliantly patient with us. Uh, Father, we need your help. Send your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.